Wow. Good morning, Mosaic Church. We doing okay? If we've never met, my name is Brady, and I'm really excited. Today is super special. Today is super special. Anybody know why today is special? Anybody know? It's my wife's birthday. Yes. Yes, it is my wife's birthday. And I tell you what, my wife loves birthdays. And her parents are incredible. Uh, They totally set me up for failure because what they told her as she was growing up was that everyone was doing parades and lighting fireworks for her birthday. So, so she grew up realizing her birthday was a really big deal. Uh, they would just tell her the third was on the fourth and you know, it, it was fine until she got married to someone who's not great at birthdays, who's not great at surprises, who's not great at celebrations. And so it was, it was rough for her for a few years. She had to really lower her expectations uh, because she knew that I wasn't gonna get any better. Uh, and, and, and that's just the deal. You know, she had to know that, you know, that my character was that I'm just not great at those kind of things. Now. I try really hard. I try really hard. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something on her behalf right now. Okay, you ready? Can, can I have, I don't know, three volunteers, three volunteers to come up here? Not on the stage. Come on up here. Not on the stage because the safety team, they'll get you. Um, who else? Yeah, right. Someone's important. Come here. Come up here. Who else? Who else is brave? Who else is brave? Right here. Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Here we go. Just, just right, right down front, right here, right here in front of everyone. And I'm just going to ask you just to share with us your deepest, darkest secret. Um, no, no, here's what I want to do. I just want to, I just want to give you this. Can I, right there. Can I, can I give this to you? This is just a gift for you. It's a gift to you. Thank you. And then will you just, will you just take, take, pull out what's in the gift and, and tell me what it is? What is that? $10 to Target. $10 Target gift card. What'd you get? $10 Chick-fil-A. Christians. And a $10 Starbucks. Don't tell her no, we didn't give out an awesome one. Wow. Okay, you can go sit down. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you. That was amazing. That was incredible. Now, here's what I want all the rest of you who are not brave enough to volunteer to do. Okay, if you can, if you can, can you, can you get out your imagination cap? Can I, some of you need to dust it off. It's, you hadn't used it in a while. Just put that thing on. And just imagine for a second that that, that was you. That, that you got to come up here this morning and just randomly, without knowing it, without knowing what was coming, just get a $10 gift card to somewhere that you really loved. If that had been you and you had been surprised by that, how might you feel? What are some words that you might feel? Happy, joyous, excited, grateful. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, isn't that incredible when someone randomly gives you something or randomly does something special for you or randomly blesses you or encourages you, you feel really good. And then it probably makes you feel pretty good about the person who did that, right? (laughs) Right? Now, what 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 if this happened in this imaginary scenario? What if in this imaginary scenario, somebody came up just now with a microphone and said, whoa, 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 everybody, calm down. You should not feel like that. I know you look at him and you think, oh, he's so generous. He just randomly gave out some stuff he's not. This is is just a scheme. This is just a ploy. This is just a, a political spin. He's trying to make you think he's generous and kind when he's really not. Because I don't know if you guys saw that. Did you see the the little bags that he gave? Do you see this? It's sitting right here. This this present. Look at this present. 
just, and we don't even know what's inside, but just look at the wrapping on this present. This is fancy. This is not Target $1 section wrapping paper. This is legit wrapping paper. This is done really well. He could not have done this himself. This is professionally done. He paid someone to wrap this. And then you see these little, these little, whatever these things are, those are not cheap. Those are expensive. I guarantee that the cost of wrapping that present was more than that gift card he gave you. And nobody, nobody spends more on the wrapping than they do on what's inside the box, right? Have you ever one time in your life spent more on the wrapping than you did on the present? You don't do that. No one does that. So what a jerk that he wouldn't let you have what's in the box. See, he just made you, he just wanted you to think he was good. He made you want to think he was generous. He made you want to think that he was kind, but he's not. He's actually the opposite of all of those things. He's just trying to, trying to twist your perception of him because he's really not generous because he's holding out on you. He's holding back. Now, maybe some of you are beginning to see the parallel. But for the rest of us, why don't we turn to Genesis chapter two. Grab your Bible, uh, if you have one, in physical copy. If not, your digital device, or I promise to read it the best that I can, as accurately as possible. But Genesis chapter two, that's page two of the Mosaic Bible. And now what's going on in this scenario? Genesis chapter two, God has just created the heavens and the earth. This incredible world just teeming with life. It's beautiful, it's amazing. And then he planted a garden. And I'm guessing, even if we've got some gardeners in here today, I'm guessing when God plants a garden, God plants a garden. You know what I'm talking about. This incredible, beautiful garden. And then he takes a human being and he places this human into the garden. And do you guys remember, he gives him a command and it has to do with fruit. What is it? What's the command? Don't eat the fruit, right? right, There's a tree right there in the garden and don't eat the fruit from that tree. Now, can we just all agree together as a church that if it had only been a vegetable, we'd be fine. We'd be in paradise right now. Every single one of us be in the Garden of Eden. There never would have been sin. Yet, you know, God's like, hey, that beet over there, don't go dig it up and eat it. And he'd be like, okay, <laughs> oh no. Goodness, couldn't it have been a vegetable? But it had to be fruit, right? So, so, so God says, don't eat this fruit. Here's what's interesting to me. Now, maybe most of you were already here. It has taken me a long time to realize this, but that's only a half truth. Let's read it. Genesis chapter two, verse 16. Genesis chapter two, verse 16, it says this. And the Lord God commanded the man, that first human, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Did you know that's the first command that he gives the human? Hey, I planted all of these trees. There's fruit on them everywhere. Go enjoy. Go, go eat the pineapples. Go eat the apples. Go eat the whatever else has an apple in it. Some bananas, some blackberries, some raspberries. In fact, I want you to mix them up. I want you to take a bite of blackberry and a bite of raspberry. I just want you to enjoy all of this that I've given you, all of this that I've created for you. It's yours. It's for you. It's for your enjoyment. It's for your life. It's for your fulfillment. Join in. Have fun. Go crazy. But if you're anything like me, that's not the picture that I tend to have of God in that moment. I tend to focus in on what happens next. And what happens next is this. 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Isn't that interesting that so many of us fixate on the one no when there are a thousand yeses? There are a thousand yeses. There's all kinds of choices that were good and beautiful and satisfying and life-giving. And there was only one, only one choice that was unhelpful, that was unhealthy, that would ultimately strip them of life. But we focus in on the one no. And it really reveals the way that I think about God. It reveals what I believe to be true about God. Now, maybe I might not say it in these words, but I think when I fix that on the one no, it reveals that I believe that God's not really that good, that he's not really generous, that he's not really kind, that he doesn't really want good things for me. It reveals that I actually think that God's holding out on me, that God doesn't want good for me. And this is what plays out with the enemy, right? The enemy in the garden, he's brilliant. Says just a, just a few words. And in those few words, he sows a seed of doubt, which radically altered the course of human history. Let's read about it. Genesis chapter three, starting verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty or more wise than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, did, did he actually say, you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? It's brilliant. He asked her a question. He doesn't even lie. He just asked a question. But in the question, he frames the facts in a twisted manner. Wait a second. Didn't God tell you that you can't eat any, any of the fruit? Isn't that what God's like? And then, then Eve's like, no, 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 that's not it. No, no, no. And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden or the middle. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You're not gonna die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Did you hear what he's doing? It's brilliant. He's making her fixate on the one no and he's saying that no is bad and it's bad because God is bad. Don't you know that that's gonna make you wise? Isn't wisdom good? Don't you know that it's going to give you knowledge? Isn't knowledge good? Why in the world would God do that? Hmm. I, w I wonder why God doesn't want you to know stuff. I wonder why God doesn't want you to be wise. Hmm. He must not be that good. He must not really love you, huh? See, I'll tell you a little secret. When you eat that, you'll be like God which means the reason God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he doesn't want you to be like him. See, God's holding out on you. God is not good. He cannot be trusted. You cannot trust his word. So you need to go out on your own and do something different. And if you want that fruit, 
If it looks good, if you think it's gonna give you wisdom, then go for it. Because God can't be trusted. He's not that good. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want good for you. He's holding out on you. And so Eve and Adam, they take the fruit, they eat, and then we know what happens next. We all live in it. Now, I don't want to give Adam and Eve a hard time because I tell you what, oftentimes this is what I think. This is a hard choice. There are times in my life when I say God is good, but there are often times in my life when I don't actually believe he's good. When I'm going through something really difficult, when I'm in a scenario that is painful, a scenario where I feel like maybe I'm being persecuted, a scenario where I'm not having all of my needs met, a scenario where I'm losing loved ones. Sometimes it's really hard to believe that God is good. It's difficult. And when I look at all the ways that my desires inside me push me towards things that seem good, but God says, no, those are not good. Don't indulge in that. Don't engage in that. Don't do that. It's easy to focus in on all the no's and not believe that he is good, that even his no's are good. Even his no's are loving. Even his no's are kind. And this story continues out through the rest of the scriptures. We can look at the people of Israel. They were enslaved in Egypt and God sent Moses. And through Moses, God did these mighty miraculous things to bring them out of slavery. And then they come to this big body of water and they're trapped between this body of water and Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh's army is coming to kill them, to destroy them. And what God does is once again, he demonstrates his might, And he demonstrates his love for his people and he protects them from Pharaoh. And then he splits open the the body of water and they get to have an escape. God saves them. He protects them. He provides for them. And they go through that. The waters come back down and they destroy Pharaoh's army. Well, a few days later, they're now wandering in the desert. And I don't know how many of you guys have spent time in a desert, but they're hanging out in a desert and they're obviously thirsty. And so they come up upon another body of water and they're like, oh yes, we can drink it. And then they taste it and it's bitter. It's undrinkable water. Maybe you've had that type of scenario in your life where you've been super thirsty and there's an option and then it's no longer an option. The other day uh, I was going to make an incredible coffee. I've just learned how to use the espresso machine and, uh, and learn that it's not espresso, but espresso. I, I learned how to make it. And so, so I, I did it. I did a great shot. It was incredible. And I put in a lot of the goodness, like toasted marshmallow and chocolate. It was fantastic. Some healthy stuff. And then I poured in the milk and, and I, I, first I steamed the milk and I poured it in and it, it looked great. And then I noticed the date on the milk. It had passed. Yeah. You know those scenarios where like, oh, hope something, oh no. The the people, they're they're dying of thirst and there's water, but now they can't drink it. And so they get frustrated with God and they get frustrated with Moses. And you know what God does? He, through Moses, turns the water that's undrinkable into drinkable water and provides all the water that they could possibly want. Once again, demonstrating his love for them. Once again, demonstrating his provision for their needs what they need. A few days later, they're in the wilderness and they're hungry. They've run out of food. 
And they cry out against God. They cry out against Moses. And then God provides food for them in this really unique way. He provides manna. And I just want to read about it real quick. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God says, I'm going to provide bread. It's going to come down from heaven. It's going to layer the ground. You're going to wake up. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some stipulations on how to engage with the manna. So every day, go out and gather as much as you want. However much you want to eat today, gather that much. And then I want you to enjoy all of that manna that you gathered. Like eat it till your heart's content. Enjoy it. But don't save any. Don't save any because tomorrow I'm going to provide manna again. And you can gather as much as you want for that day. Eat it all, but don't save any because the next day I'm also going to provide manna. He was testing them to see if they would walk in his ways, to see if they would trust that he's good, that he's a provider, that he loves them, and that every single day he will provide what they need. But they don't. Verse 19, and Moses said to the people, let no one leave any of it over till morning. So he reinforces the command of God. Hey, do not save any. Ah, verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till morning. So you have this incredibly awesome, good, loving God who is continually providing for the needs of his people, protecting them, saving them, delivering them, giving them water, and now giving them food. And he said, I've given you food in abundance, but some people didn't trust in the goodness of God. They didn't trust in the character of God. So what they did is they gathered up food, enough for a day, but then they rationed it. They didn't even enjoy all that God had given them to enjoy that day. They only ate part of it because they didn't believe that he would provide for the next day. They didn't even eat enough for that day when God gave them enough for that day because they were afraid that God would not provide for them the next day. And you see God trying to help the people learn about his character that every day he's going to give them what they need. Every day he's going to provide for them what they need. Every day he's going to take care of them. He's going to protect them. There's a pillar of cloud at night, uh, cloud at day and a pillar of fire at night to lead them, to guide them, to show them the way. But the people don't trust him. They don't believe that he's good. And so they try and take matters into their own hands and they do it their own way rather than God's way. And you know what happens? It turns bad. It goes bad. See, even though they were living in a time of abundance, they acted like they were living in scarcity. Even though they were living in a time of abundance, they believed they were living in scarcity and they lived according to what they believed rather than to the good character of God that he has proved over and over and over and over to them. If you fast forward, all of these people, they wander around the wilderness for 40 years and they have kids. And then Moses is giving a sermon to all of their kids. It's his last sermon, and he's reminding them of what happened in their wilderness journeys. It's the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, he gives a little more insight to what God was doing in this moment. He says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Moses is speaking. He said, and God humbled you 
and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man or humanity does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So also your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Moses reminds them of the good, loving character of God. And he says, here's the deal. God let you hunger, remember? You might not remember. You might've been too young, but your parents did. They hungered. And the reason he did, one, as we all already looked in the book of Exodus, is God wanted to teach them to trust his good character. But also, he wanted them to understand that there is more to life than what your physical body will long for. And God let them hunger as a kindness because sometimes when your belly is full and your emotions are high, sometimes you don't realize there's a deeper need at the core of your being, that there's something more true to who you are, a need and a longing and a yearning that every single human has. And it's a longing and a yearning for God. And sometimes... When we're full, we don't realize it. And so God in his kindness allowed them to hunger to expose that need, to expose the reality that what we really need is God and his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace and his nearness to us. We need God. And Jesus picks up on this. Jesus in the book of John chapter four He's having a conversation with a woman at a well. And so she's come to this well to draw water. And there's a lot of stuff going on in that scenario. But Jesus has a conversation with her and he asks her to give him some water. And, she's, and she, you know, brings up a lot of stuff. And so Jesus responds in this way. Chapter four, verse 10, Jesus answered the woman and said, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, which was Jesus, he said, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, if you knew what God is like, and if you knew the gifts that God would like to give to you, he wants to give it to you, you would have looked at me knowing that I am God's son, the Messiah, and I would have then in turn given you living water. He goes on, he says this, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the water in the well that she came to draw, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said, you're coming to a place to get something that will wear out, that will quench your thirst for a moment but then you're gonna be thirsty again. You're gonna to need to continue to come here day in and day out and get water. But I'm talking about a completely different water, a water that satisfies the core desires at the deepest part of your being. And he says, I want to give it to you. If you only knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you this living water. Do you see the heart of God, the disposition of God towards us is that he wants to give us good things. He wants to provide for us. And particularly, he wants to provide for us living water. A number of days later, Jesus is at this Jewish feast. 
John chapter seven, verse 37, it says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See, once again, Jesus demonstrating the character of our good loving father says, I would like to provide for you who are thirsty. You who have have felt that longing, that yearning deep inside of you, at the core of your being, I want to give you what will satisfy that. A few chapters later, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they, we might have life and have it abundantly because I am the good shepherd. See, Jesus doesn't just want us to just exist in life. He didn't just come so that we would kind of be okay and we'd have to ration. Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to have life and have it abundantly to its fullest extent. I don't just want your belly to be full. I don't just want your thirst to be quenched. I don't just want your physical needs to be taken care of. I want you to have what is deeper, what is more core, what is, what is a greater need. I want you to have the intimacy with God that you were created for. I want you to have the living water. I want you to have the bread of life, not just having your physical desires taken care of. There is more than that. And I want to satisfy those yearnings. The first thing that we see in these stories is that God is good. God is good. He loves us. Second thing is that God wants to provide good things for us. God loves us. He wants to provide good things for us. And there are needs, there are longings, there are yearnings that we have that are deeper than what our body tells us. And sometimes when we have those needs satisfied, we don't realize the deeper needs. And so God in his kindness sometimes pulls back the provision of those needs so that we can realize we have things that are deeper. As Jesus said to the enemy, as he's quoting Deuteronomy, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is a yearning at the core of who you are that can only be satisfied as we feast on the words that God gives us in Jesus through his spirit. God is good. But sometimes it's hard to believe it, isn't it? Sometimes when our circumstances around us are difficult, and and let me tell you, Many of us have been in scenarios where difficult is the, it's the lightest way that you might describe it. Sometimes we find ourselves in scenarios that are unbearable, that we don't think we can make it one more second. There's a moment in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I was despairing of life itself. And it's in those moments that it's so hard to really believe. This is why this truth is so important. This might be one of the most crucial beliefs, the most crucial facts, the most crucial things to hang on to, to learn and to develop over time so that in those moments when it's difficult, when we can't do it in our own strength, we can look back at all that God has done throughout history and in our own lives, that he has always been good. He's always been faithful. He's always provided what we truly most deeply need at the core of our being. 
that even though it doesn't feel like he's near, he is our comforter who comforts us in all of our affliction. But there's so many things that get in the way of that. See, those deep needs, it takes time to get to those. Sometimes it takes the exposure of not having our other needs met, right? And in our world where everything is provided so quickly in America, it's really difficult because man, I can have my hunger satisfied immediately. My thirst, thirst satisfied immediately. There's water fountains everywhere, right? I can get food almost anywhere. We have an abundance of our physical needs being provided for. And so it's easy to not get to those. And then there's not just like having our physical needs satisfied, which is good. There's actually sin. There are things that are harmful to our hearts, harmful to our minds, harmful to our bodies and harmful to our community that feel really good right at the beginning, don't they? Man, just a little hit of dopamine. It's so easy when I'm feeling down to just jump on my Amazon app and buy something because it gives me a little hit of dopamine. I'm like, oh yes, I didn't need that, but I feel real good. Right, they call it retail therapy. There's a reason why people shop when they're down, right? Because sometimes indulging in our greed makes us feel a little bit better, at least for a while. Sometimes indulging in our lust makes us feel better, at least for a while. But ultimately those things will erode at our hearts, at our souls and in our community, destroying us. And this good loving father says, I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want you to be corrupted. In fact, I want you to have life and have it abundantly. So stay away from those things that are harmful to you. But that's too hard. There's a moment in the history of Israel when the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to this reality. And he says this, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 12, God is speaking through the prophet and God says this, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Have you ever been in that moment, in that space where you're indulging in some sinful behavior and you just need more and more and more to get the same effects? The law of diminishing returns, right? You can indulge in your greed and then what happens is you get that thing. And it's like, oh, I need more. And then indulge in your greed again. And then you're like, oh, I need more. I need more. I need more. Same thing with lust. Same thing with gossip. Same thing with all sin. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a powerful indictment. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and... They've built up for themselves their own ways and they don't work. This reminds me of my favorite restaurant and you're gonna wonder how. 
I'm not a foodie, but let me tell you, there's a restaurant that I love so much. Hands down, my favorite restaurant in the world. It is in the great city of Orlando, Florida, where humidity grows on trees. And it's called Ohana. Has anyone ever been to Ohana? Okay, so some of you have been to Ohana. Ohana is in the Polynesian Resort at Walt Disney World. And it is incredible. But let me tell you, if you've never been to Ohana, you will fail at Ohana if you don't know how to do it properly. So I'm just going to give you some proper instruction on how to Ohana well. Okay, so first thing you need to know is, is a proper experience of Ohana for dinner begins in the morning when you wake up. So when you wake up, you need to live life appropriately for someone who's going to experience Ohana later in the day. And so what you have to do is, rookie mistake is don't eat anything. See, if you don't eat anything during the day, your stomach begins to get used to less food. And then it's not big enough to, to fill it with all of the stuff that you're going to fill your gluttony with. Okay, so... So you have to eat appropriate sized portions throughout the day. Something no American has ever done, right? Just normal amounts that most people eat around the world, okay? For, for breakfast and for lunch. That's the first thing. Second thing, do not get distracted by the fun, friendly family atmosphere. Okay, you're going to walk up to the table and they're going to seat you. And the person there is going to be smiling. And they're going to say to you the magic wor magical words, hello, cousin. Because at Ohana, everybody's family. And see, what's going to happen is you're going to feel like a cousin. You're going to feel like family. And when they parade you by this counter with the most amazing, fresh, freshly baked bread, just perfectly soft, just amazing. And they bring that to your table. You are going to want to eat that all up because it's so good. But the problem is bread expands in your stomach and it's not going to leave you the room that you need for what's to come next. What happens next after you, as a pro, pass up the bread, hide it in, your, in your, your bag or your pockets. After you do that, then they bring out this incredible salad. And you need to eat a bite of salad because you need some fiber, okay? You need some, but not a lot. Just take a bite. And they bring out these incredibly, you know, just amazing noodles that are saturated in all of this goodness. And you need to eat a couple bites of those because it's worth it because there are no noodles like this. And then they give you some pot stickers and you might want to smell those pot stickers because they, they smell so good, but do not eat them because they will all also fill up in your stomach. And then after the salad and the noodles and the pot stickers come what I call the warm-up meats. They come up, they come around with the warm-up meats and they begin to give you all that you care to eat, pork and chicken wings. And they, oh, let me tell you, it is so good. Just, just tasty, just baked to perfection, incredible. But do not fill up on the warm-up meats. Because what happens next is a big old cousin comes around with this gigantic skewer of grilled shrimp. And they say to you, how many would you like? And the correct answer is the whole skewer. <laughs> and then after that, they'll come around with this chicken, this just thick, plump, juicy chicken. And they'll say, how many would you like? And see, if you, if you have eaten the bread and if you've eaten a bunch of the noodles, you're not going to be ready. And lastly, in regards to the meat, they come around with the steak and it is a thick cut, grade A, juicy, grass-fed, Hereford, incredibly loved and cared for and generously killed for your pleasure, steak. And it is unbelievable. Oh, it's so good. 
And if that's not enough, finally, they come around with my favorite dessert in the whole world. They come around with this incredible banana pineapple bread pudding. Mm. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't like bread pudding. You're wrong. (laughs) Christians like bread pudding, okay? And then on top of this thick, I mean, it is a thick slice of bread pudding, thick. They put this giant slab of vanilla bean ice cream. And then they take this little container full of Bananas Foster's caramel sauce and they just pour it on there. And let me tell you, it's not like one of those fancy restaurants where they do like a little design. It's like, oh, you can smell that and t- have one taste. No, no, they, they, they pour it on generously. And if you have not prepared yourself properly, you never get to there. If you've not prepared yourself properly, you're already bloated by the time dessert comes in. You never get to enjoy it. Let me tell you, the only way that I can do that, the only way that I can pass up too much food during the day, the only way that I can pass up the bread as I walk by with my cousin and my family, the only way that I can eat just a little bit of the salad and the noodles and smell the pot stickers, the only way that I cannot just fill myself up with the warm-up meats is because I have faith in the God of Ohana. <laughs> because I believe that the God of Ohana is good and that he will provide for me a skewer full of grilled shrimp. That he will provide for me a skewer full of amazing chicken and juicy steak. And I'm convinced that he has overflowing in his storehouses an abundant amount of Bananas Foster's caramel sauce that he will generously pour out on top of this amazing dessert. And he will allow me to eat until my heart's consent. It's the only way. Because every single one of those dishes that you pass up would be the best thing that you could eat at any other restaurant. Those noodles, if you got that at any other restaurant, that'd be, that'd be the dessert, right? Those pot stickers, that bread, it would be the best thing that you have. The only way that you can avoid those things is if you believe, if you trust, if you have experience, if you've been there before and you remember that time and time again, it's happened and that it will happen again. Let me tell you one thing I don't do. On the way to Ohana, you know what I don't do? I don't drive through McDonald's. No offense to McDonald's, but nobody drives through McDonald's on the way, right? Because you'd fill yourself up with that just greasy, low-grade, barely edible for human quality food, you know? It's like they don't even feel to feed the pigs with that food. And, and like, nobody does that. Who does that? And yet, is this not what we do, men and women? We've got a table, a banquet prepared for us where Jesus is like, I'm the bread of life I want you to eat. I'm the living water I want you to drink. And we indulge and fill ourselves with sin. We indulge and fill ourselves with all this stuff that will not satisfy, that will not fill the deepest yearnings of our soul. And Jesus says, come to me and drink. Come to me and eat. In the book of Isaiah, he says it this well. I, just, I love it. Isaiah 55, and our staff was meditating on this this week, and it's just incredible. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You don't have any money? You can't afford it? That's okay. I'm giving it to you free of charge. It costs us nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. 
And he says this, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Don't you know what I have for you, what I'm providing for you, what I'm giving to you? Incline your ear to me and come to me here that your soul may live. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. You feel like maybe in your life right now there's thorns. Maybe what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're going through. I love this promise that God says, instead of the thorn, instead shall be this beautiful tree. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Oh, we have such a good God. He loves us so much. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he wants to satisfy the deepest yearnings of your soul. He wants you to have life abundantly beyond your physical desires. And he says, come to me and drink. Come to me and eat. Don't waste your money on that which does not satisfy. What an incredible God we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. God, we need you. It is so hard, God, to remember your goodness, to remember your provision, because in the moment when it doesn't feel like you're there, it's so powerful. And the enemy is so crafty in his words. He's so quick to make our minds question your goodness. God, we want to be revived God, we want revival to break out in our midst, in this church community. And so we're asking that you would help us to believe and trust in your goodness so that we can wait and be patient as you do what only you can do, as you speak to the deepest yearnings and longings of our soul. Lord, I pray that we know that you are good, that you love us and you have good for us. Help us to believe that if you didn't spare your own son, then how are you not gonna graciously give us all things? Jesus, thank you for giving your life so that we might be satisfied. And we pray these things in your powerful name. Amen.